I sure am glad that the potter knows what to put us through and knows what we need and knows how much fire and heat and what it takes to make us a better Christian. I want you to open your Bibles again to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5 is our text passage. I'm starting just a little bit early tonight, but I'll make up for it. Verse number five, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, he doesn't win. Is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? I'm going to preach on this subject, and you'll understand the subject more as I go through the introduction tonight. A sore loser makes a better winner. A sore loser makes a better winner. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the word of God as I preach tonight. I believe we need the truth of this message. I think we need it in our lives. I think we need it in our homes. I think we need it in our nation. And I pray that you'd help me to preach it in a way that would be understood, but not just understood, a way it could be applied. And I pray that you'd use this message not only here in this building tonight, what a great crowd in church on a Sunday night, but Lord, I pray that you'd use it online and many hundreds and thousands of folks across the country, that they'll be watching and listening. I pray that you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Paul is writing to Timothy, telling him here he needs to be a winner in the spiritual warfare of life. Make sure you get that statement now. Paul writes to Timothy, the veteran preacher, writes to the young preacher, and he tells him, you need to be a winner. You need to win. It's not just running the race, it's winning the race. Not just competing, it's winning. Not just standing, it's making it to the end. And he wants him to be a winner in spiritual warfare of life. Paul uses two illustrations to get his point across. First of all, Paul uses the illustration of a soldier and warfare. And when I think of this passage of scripture right now, in telling him to stand, notice what he says in verse number three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When I think of that, I think in my mind a picture of President Zelensky in the Ukraine, he's not, about to, he's not about to give up. He's not about to give in. He's going to fight, and especially for the city and where he is. I uh, laughed many times when I read the quote when President Biden offered him help to evacuate, which was somewhat of a joke, but, but when he offered him help, he said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. He's a good soldier. And everybody in America and everybody in the world believes in capitalism and freedom and democracy appreciates the stand that President Zelensky is making for his nation. And then Paul uses another illustration of the competition of sports. And Paul used sports many times and in his writing and used it as an illustration in fighting and standing and winning in spiritual warfare. Paul does not just talk about being in a race as an athlete. 
or as a runner, he talks about winning the race. This is a good sermon for March Madness. He said, I want you to win. And he uses, and, and he said in verse number five, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. You see, winning and losing are the natural results of competing in a contest, whether that be in a race or a game of sports or in war. All sports has a winner and a loser. That's just the way it's set up. The contest is to see who can be the best. In the biography of Andrew Jackson entitled The Lion, three or four fellows were talking and they asked the question, how in the world? And they said, did Andrew make it all the way to the president of the United States? Another one of his boyhood friends, an adult now, he said, well, you know, oh, Andrew, he never would say throwed. He said when they would beat him three times, Andrew would keep fighting and he would win the fourth. And he said, oh, John Brown down the road would give up and Andrew would be declared the winner. And they said, well, I thought they just wrestled four times and whoever won was the winner. He said, not Andrew. He would never say throwed. You knock him down and you get back up and go at it again. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Sports has a winner and sports has a loser. In today's culture, there's been a calming down in this matter of competition. Some want both sides to win. They don't want anybody to be offended and they don't want anybody to get their feelings hurt. They don't want anybody to cry or don't want anybody to get mad if they lose. And so they want to just give everybody a participation award and everybody go home happy. I never was happy with a forfeit. I'd rather lose and win the forfeit. I don't want to go home just to participate. I want to go home a winner. Some Christians feel the same way and they think Christianity is to be weak and winless and not aggressive in any matter of life. Some love those statements. Some have said it's not a matter of winning or losing but how you play the game. That's not me. I didn't say that. I don't agree with that. I think it was Adolf Rupp that said it's not a matter of winning or losing. It's a matter of winning. I don't play to win or lose. I play to win. Someone has said Christians should not want to win or defeat anybody. If the other team scores, encourage them to score again. Now, that's not the generation I grew up with. That's not the Bible I read. Adolph Rupp said, I'd rather be the most hated winning coach than the most popular losing one. I like that. Coach Rupp said, I wouldn't give an iota to make a trip from the cradle to the grave unless I could live in a competitive world. He liked to compete and he liked to win. The word competition is rooted in the Latin word competir. And it means to strive together it means to push one another. How many of you played in sports or wrestled against a brother or a sister? Maybe you don't want to admit it if she beat you. Growing up, you wrestled with brothers and sisters and folks around growing up. You see, the way sports works, 
is that through the adversarial system of having a winner, uh, having a winner and a loser, we're pushed to improve. As the Olympic motto puts it, faster, higher, stronger. To say, I do not mind if I win or lose, is to undermine the goal of the activity and the competition. Therefore, in some sense, undermines the sport or the game as a whole. Now, I want to win. I don't care what I'm playing. I'm playing ping pong. I want to win. That's why I won't play against my wife, because I want to win. <laughs> Paul says, she said, I never beat you. I just hit it back to you and let you beat yourself. You didn't try to be so fancy you could win. I like to win, and I like to win fancy, but anyway. Paul said, if a man strive for the masteries, he's not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Paul does not speak of competition as a bad thing or as a wrong thing. He assumes that victory is a worthy end for the prepared and diligent athlete. He's teaching us here that the way to cope with loss is definitely not to dial down our expectations and give up on caring about winning and losing, but it teaches us in losing, we work more diligently and more purposefully in our preparation. There will be or should be a sting in losing. Losing ought to hurt. And the bigger the match, the more painful the loss. And in a strange way, there's a comfort in recognizing that the pain of loss is not necessarily wrong or ungodly. It's a part of the purpose of competition that produces a better athlete. Are you with me tonight? I'm going slow because it helps me to keep my voice. Now the principle of what he is teaching is winning in spiritual warfare. The purpose is not the illustration of being a good soldier. The purpose of the, 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 the uh, writing is not the illustration of being a good athlete. <clears throat> the purpose of writing is to be a winner in spiritual warfare. Not allowing the devil to have victory over our lives. Not allowing the devil have, to have victory in our marriage. Not allowing the devil to have victory in our families or in our church or in our nation. I love what that song says, Oh, victory in Jesus. Victory is not the absence of an enemy, it is the defeat of one. There must be a willingness to fight, there must be a willingness to learn from the pain of failure so that we can be victors in the Christian life. How many times have you seen an older brother be tough on a younger brother and eventually the younger brother beats the older brother because of the competition in either the fighting or the sports. I remember when Leah got old enough to hold a glove up like this. John would say, come on, catch the ball. He'd throw the ball fast and hard, nearly knock her glove off. She picked the glove up, uh, she picked the ball up, and she threw it back to him. He said, Leah, throw the ball to me. You throw like a girl. I said, son, she is a girl. 
Oh, he said she can throw better than that. And the competition between them, it didn't hurt them. I'll tell you what hurts them is to baby them every time they cry. Now I'm going to tell you something. Our country's in trouble if we don't toughen up just a little bit. Not too many folks sitting at home sucking their thumb tonight because somebody looked at them sideways or somebody beat them in something. Competition makes us stronger. Competition makes us better. And he said, I want you to be a good Christian. I want you to be a good soldier. I want you to win in the Christian life as a soldier would fight to win, as an athlete would strive for the master. The child of God grows up more in the valley of difficulty than he does on the mountaintop. It was the pride of Joseph's brothers. It was the pit it was the prison that made Joseph the man that he was. The Apostle Paul, a great man, not in the beginning but through the experiences of life, he came to the conclusion, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Nehemiah didn't sit in his job away from his homeland whining and crying, but he gathered what crowd he could and he returned to Jerusalem and he rebuilt the walls around the city of Jerusalem. There was opposition, there was criticism, there was everything you can imagine, but Nehemiah didn't go to fail, he didn't go to quit. He went to rebuild the walls and rebuild the walls he did. Peter fell more times than anybody you can imagine in all of the scripture. And yet Peter died a martyr, a strong man for the cause of Christ. Loss and challenge and opposition helps us to grow in grace. You get defeated, don't go home and whine and cry. See where you need to get stronger and better and go back at it again. Take your Bibles and go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and go to that verse of well-known verse in verse 28. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, you could quote it, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now what makes us more like Christ? Trials. Difficulties. They sang just a moment ago, the potter knows the clay. It is not comfort that the potter puts the clay in. It's fire that he puts the clay in. And that's what makes it the vessel that it becomes. I'm saying tonight, as Paul said to Timothy, if you're going to be a victor in the Christian life, you're going to have to fight like a soldier. If you're going to be a victor in the Christian life, you're going to have to fight like an athlete does to win a contest. Being transformed to the image of Christ means to have our character changed and strengthened. It means to grow in love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faith and gentleness and 
meekness and temperance and all of those things. And the uncomfortable reality is that the competition or the difficulty cultivates these virtues in adversity. Are you with me tonight? God may be more interested in our godliness than our success. From a boy playing on a little basketball team, I learned the value of losing. And I hate to lose. I get mad to think about losing. I always want to be in my place. I want to be where I'm supposed to be. I want to win. I aim to win. I'm a bad loser. Losing made me angry. Losing made me want to run more and be in better physical shape. Our little basketball team won a lot of games in the fourth quarter. Not because we were better than they were, but they, we finally wore them down and wore them out and beat them in the last quarter. Losing made me focus in practice. Missing free throws in front of a crowd. I didn't have to have a coach to tell me I needed to practice free throws. I knew that when I missed a free throw and everybody in the gymnasium saw it. I don't want to miss. I wanted to make them, so I practiced. I practiced layups and jump shots. Losing made me not eat or drink things that I wanted. I liked Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola and Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew, but made my side hurt when I played basketball, so I didn't drink it. I wanted to win. I didn't like for anybody to beat us. I like those games when folks said, you never will beat this crowd. I love to beat those, those people. Oftentimes you'll hear folks say, well now, you know, that's David against Goliath. And I tell them, yeah, and do you remember who won? Losing makes you exercise and jump and lift weights and practice. And if you don't have a problem with losing, you're a loser. We had a softball team at church one time that went zero and 20. That's zero wins and 20 losses. Somebody gave me a plaque. It makes me mad just to tell the story. They gave me a plaque that said, Preacher, the trouble with being a good sport is that you have to lose to prove it. I kept that plaque in the office. It made me mad. I do better when I'm mad. I hate to lose. I love those years of basketball when they'd offer up Joe Hall and Bobby Knight and Denny Crum and Wimp Sanderson from Alabama. Whine and cry and complain all the time like a church league Wimp Sanderson would. <laughs> Dean Smith and Dale Brown. You remember that crowd? Bobby Knight couldn't win. He'd throw a chair at you. <laughs> he would. That was a winning generation. When they lost, they left mad. They went back to the gym court. They didn't say, that's all right, fellas. We'll win the next one. There wasn't anything all right about losing a game. Losing was about learning how to win the next game. More than all of that, I don't want people to lose their soul and die and go to hell. 
I want to fight for every soul I can win, every boy and every girl, every teenager, and you're listening to me tonight, and you've never been born again by the grace of God. You need to trust Christ as your personal Savior, and you need to do it before the sun goes down this evening. Don't let the devil have your soul and burn in hell for all eternity. We're going to keep running the buses. We're going to keep winning souls. We're going to keep knocking on doors. We're going to keep preaching everywhere we can preach because I don't want to lose their soul to a devil's hell. I don't want righteousness to lose the sinfulness. I don't want sinfulness to win. I want righteousness to win. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach. To any people, I don't care what kind of bow you put on a pig. I don't care what kind of, of, of cologne or perfume you put on a pig. You can paint its lips pink, but it's still a pig. And sin is sin, and I don't care how you dress it up. I don't care what kind of bottle you put it in. I don't care what kind of package you put it in. I'm against sinfulness, and our job is to promote Righteousness, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. By the way, Congress doesn't decide what's right or wrong. God's already made that decision. And Frankfurt doesn't decide what's right or wrong. Uh, God's already made that decision. I want to ask you a question tonight. Why in the world has gambling been illegal for over 200 years? You think all of a sudden we're smart now? The crowd got so many trillion dollars in debt, we can't even figure it up. New Jersey was so smart, they brought in all the casinos. Now they're having to bail out the casino. I get pretty serious and dogmatic when it comes to protecting our children. I hate liquor. I hate it what it does to a man. I hate liquor what it does to a marriage. I hate what liquor does to a uh, to a family, and if you agree with me, you ought to say amen. I hate the gambling. I hate the gambling and thinking that by chance you can win and care for your family. And they say, well, we're just playing a little game. These fellows down here that are, don't have a place to sleep tonight, they thought it was a game. It's not much fun to them tonight. I don't want America to be second to any nation on earth. When I was a boy, I didn't understand all of those Olympic games, but I wanted America to win every gold medal. I didn't understand all those games. They had a game they called fencing. I thought, I'm a pretty good fencer. I learned to fence a lot on the farm down there. I could do bob wire. I could do web wire fence, chicken wire, whatever kind of fencing they wanted. I never did see anybody fence. But I wanted to win. I wanted to win the gold medal. Do you know what fencing is? Huh? I think I know what it is. Try to poke one another in the eye with a sharp stick. But anyway. That's why on Thursday I was so disappointed and I was so embarrassed when I watched Kentucky's House of Representatives call a vote on the House floor voting to pass a bill to legalize marijuana. Marijuana is a federally controlled illegal substance. Talk to folks that are dealing with drugs and ask them how they got started. Let me give you a little civics lesson. Let me tell you a little bit of what, about what happens in Frankfurt. 
our lawmakers are. You have two bodies. You have the House of Representatives. And you have the Senate. And they're there each to represent their districts. What happens, though, lobbyists go to Frankfurt. That's not what you see circling the Capitol up there, but it's similar. Lobbyists go to Frankfurt with their ideas of bills of what they want. Groups like marijuana and sports betting and casinos and all of that. And these lobbyists in this crowd, they offer free nice meals and liquor. Golf trips to the legislators, representatives and senators. Some have gone to those free meals and realized, wait a minute, this is set up. You don't get a steak dinner and all this stuff offered and all this liquor. This is set up. Thank God we got a few state representatives and a few state senators that said, I'd rather pay my own way at McDonald's. Let's eat these meals. And some of them, they'll send you money to help your campaign. I'm thankful for those that send it back to the lobbyists and say, I'm not for sale. There are some. What they do, they try to get a representative or a senator to, to sponsor a bill. And that bill, when they file that bill, they then work to get other representatives to co-sponsor that bill to help them in getting it passed. There are many committees that are a, 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 a camel is a horse assembled by a committee. A committee, there's a lot of committees. They even have a committee on committees in Frankfurt. They have a committee on committees. Committee that oversees the committees. They got all kind of committees. They got a veterans committee, a license, occupation, education, or what they do, they'll take this bill and they'll assign it to committees. And that committee will have five, six, seven, and I don't know how many is on each committee. And that bill has to pass out of committee before it can come to the house for a floor, uh, uh, come to the house floor for a vote. And what will happen is the Democrats and the Republicans right now believe there's 60 some odd Republicans, mostly odd, 67 I believe Republicans and 23 Democrats. So they're outnumbered. It's what you call a supermajority. Right now the Democrats they couldn't get any bill out to the floor, and so. They don't have enough people to vote it out. So, so if, if it comes out of committee, they will have a caucus. And they'll just meet in a room, those 67 Republicans, and they'll ask, how many of you are for marijuana in Kentucky? They'll do a straw poll. They'll ask. If they have enough, if they have a majority, then they'll vote on it on the House floor. Are you with me? You all understand what I'm saying? If it passes the House, then it goes to the Senate. If it passes the Senate, and then it goes to the governor to be signed into law. If he signs something into law, or I'm sorry, if he vetoes a bill, they have such a supermajority in the House and Senate, they can override his veto. So what happened last week, leadership, I believe there are five, maybe six in leadership, there's a speaker of the house and floor leader in different, different uh, positions. They were divided on marijuana. 
they didn't have enough votes, and they never, you never throw your own team under the bus on a vote in the House floor. I don't know who gave me these cough drops, but they're the best. I'll tell you they're the best. And I got three left. Um, and, and, and so what they do is they, they uh, if they don't have enough votes, they're not going to throw their own team under the bus and, and vote for something that can't pass. But sports betting and all kinds of gambling and marijuana, the Democrats, they want to pass it. 90 plus percent want to pass it. What bothered me last Thursday was the fact that they didn't have enough Republicans to pass it, but the House Speaker forced a vote on the House floor anyway. And I'm thankful for those that voted against it, and the majority of Republicans voted against marijuana. If you knew everything about how it's going to be used and how it's going to be dispensed, I mean, it's a wicked mess, start to finish. And what they did, they couldn't pass it unless they joined the Democrats to pass it. Now, it's one thing to get beat by the other team. It's another to score points in the other team's basket until you lose. And that's a shame. And, at, at, and you, you think, why then should we send conservatives if they're going to take the moderate to liberal Democrats and join the, uh, or moderate to liberal Republicans and join the Democrats to pass these bills that hurt society? And when they did, I text everyone in leadership and everyone I could, and I said, shame on you. Now, some are disappointed. They're watching right now. I put on Facebook today, was going to preach tonight. I heard from Washington in about an hour. Hello to Washington. But they did in public what I'm saying. I guess they don't care that you know about it because they did it in public. Now what has to happen, we have to find out who those are that are trying to sink our own boat and find somebody to replace them that will stand up for right. And say, preacher, this makes me uncomfortable. I'll tell you what makes me comfortable, winning. When it comes to righteousness, I want to win. When it comes to what's right, I want to win. You know why? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We've got some good people running for a house and senate that we need to get elected and get into the state house so we don't have to worry about all of this foolishness. And I'm thankful for the pro-life bills they've passed, and I'm thankful that they passed bills to protect our children from some of the teachers that would want to push all of this homosexual agenda on them. Now the most important thing about losing is what you learn and how to win in the next time around. Losing should make you want to quit. Losing should make you want to fight. Fight smarter and fight on. I want to say tonight, we can be winners if we don't accept losing. Paul said to Timothy, he said, you can be a victor. Take your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 6. This wasn't just an occasional conversation. By the way, you ought to check and see. I put on my Facebook page who voted for marijuana and who voted against it. You, you'd be surprised some that did. And you ought to let them know. They're your representatives. You voted for them or against them. You've got the right to call them and tell them. It's a shame. Most people don't know what's going on in Frankfurt. They don't have time. 
You got time to watch 47 remodeling shows. Three hours a week to watch a QVC. You ought to have time to find out what's going on in Washington. Find out what's going on in Frankfurt. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Find them, my brethren. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now look at this. Put on the whole armor of God. What's he expecting? He's expecting a battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, against the tricks, the old wily devil. Against his tricks you'll be able to stand. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all the stand, you know what? Withstand is different than standing. Anybody can take a stand. But withstanding is when the opposition attacks your position and you go from standing to withstanding. Uh, President Zelensky in Ukraine is withstanding the onslaught, the attack coming into Kiev of the capital city there. And that's what I have to do this week to win in spiritual warfare. He tells us every piece of armor that we need, truth and righteousness, the gospel and faith, salvation and prayer, and he gives us every single piece that we can be winners. And I want to say tonight, we could take our nation back from the socialists and the Marxists if we would just stand up and do it. We could take our school system back if we wanted to. We could have revival again in this nation if we just had the heart and the guts to fight and to stand. We've sat back in fear as the socialists and the evolutionists and the LGBTQ crowds have taken the lead in our nation. And we've sat back and say, I don't want to be offensive and they're taking our children and they're ruining a generation. We can raise a generation of children to stand up and fight and to have freedom not only in our nation but victory in the Christian life. You this week may have been defeated. You may have been knocked down. You may be in church tonight a little bit disappointed that you've been knocked down. It ought to make you mad enough to get up in the morning and read the Bible and say, I may have lost yesterday, but I'm not, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to fight to win today. You may have allowed the devil to bring some kind of a temptation into your life, and you've allowed that to cause you to fail, and you realize now, I'm not letting the devil in. I remember in the springtime about now, my grandpa would get the old brood house ready, and he'd order a hundred chickens in the springtime, a hundred chickens in the fall. Ah, oh, and they'd grow up to be wonderful uh, fried chicken and dumplings and all of it. And I remember as we was getting a brood house ready, Grandpa would go around and uh, the little knots in the old wood uh, would fall out after a time and leave a hole in the wood. He'd cut him a little a board, a little square, and he'd, he'd nail that little square over the hole. He said, I want to keep the rats out. I want to keep the snakes out. And I want to tell you something. I don't want the devil in. I don't want the rats and the snakes of the world and the devil in my life and in my family and in our church. We have to fight to win. But we can have victory in Jesus. Stand with me, if you will. A sore loser makes a better winner. Heavenly Father, help us tonight to take our last loss, to lick our wounds and determine he may have knocked me down yesterday, but I'll stand up and fight again today. 
I may not have won every victory I wanted to win yesterday, but I'm enrolling in the fight again today. I'm suiting up again today. And I pray that you'd help us to know this book was given to us to have victory. There's never a place for compromise. There's never a place for quit. There's never a place for turn back. But God help us to determine children and teens and adults alike that we will not quit. We will not give up. We will stand and fight for victory in our lives, our homes, our church, and our nation. Bless our invitation, I do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.